33 of the book of Numbers, we read, These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord, and these are their journeys according to their starting points. And so, Father, we do desire right now to just open up your word to our hearts, and I'm so thankful that we can be here, not to just go through programs or be entertained, but just to sit and to be fed and to be strengthened and be encouraged and instructed by your word. And even though we go through a portion of Scripture that maybe perhaps many in the body of Christ feel like it's not relevant, we know it is relevant. And even as we see these, these destinations that the children of Israel went to and their journey in their lives and in the wilderness wandering, that you're interested in where we go and you see us where we go. So we know that there's a lot of application for us to, to gain from and to be encouraged by. So we give you this time. May our hearts be settled, and may we be attentive to the things you want to show us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So Moses was told by the Lord to write down the accounts of their journey, beginning in Egypt and during their 40 years, that would take them up to the border of the Promised Land. Now you recall that at this time in the book of Numbers that they're getting poised to go into the Promised Land. We're going to finish the book of Numbers tonight, and then next week we're going to start the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is going to take a time span of about 30 days. The last uh, few weeks of Moses' life before he dies there on Mount Nebo, he's given his final farewell address to the children of Israel. And Deuteronomy in the Septuagint means the second law. Now, it doesn't mean that Moses is giving them another set of law. What it means is that you have a new generation now, now that the old generation that came out of Egypt has died out there in the wilderness, and they need to be told officially and by Moses what the law of God is. He is preparing them to go into the promised land. So they're poised to go in. They're on the east side of the Jordan River right now. And so here is an account of their wilderness wandering for those 40 years. And so it begins as, verse 3, they departed from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month, and on the day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians, for the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgments. And so as we go through this this account of all their places that they would stop and set up camp. There's, a matter of fact, 42 places that are listed here in Numbers chapter 33. You may be wondering, why would the Lord take the time to write and make an account of all these places that the children of Israel went? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, remember that the Bible is an historical document. It's an historical book. And there's a lot of history, of course, in the Bible, and it's very accurate. And so we can look at the scriptures all the way from Genesis and, and through the scriptures of, of the writings of the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and we can see how accurate historically the Bible truly is. Now, there are secular historians that will come along and try to cast doubt and, and try to dismiss the accounts of the Bible, but every time evidence comes up, or the archaeologist finds you know, a new discovery, it shows that the Bible is accurate. It confirms what the Bible says. 
So here are these 42 stops that the children of Israel made in their 40 years, beginning there with Ramses in the north part of Egypt, and then they would leave Egypt. They would leave uh, with boldness. They would leave uh, as conquerors because they didn't leave slinking out or sneaking out of Egypt. It would be on the 15th day, the first month. Of course, it was Passover. That's on what? The 14th day, right? Of the first month, Nisan, as we saw in the book of Exodus. And it would be as the Passover was instituted, there would be the death of the firstborn. And then after that, it would be the Pharaoh that would say to the children of Israel, led by Moses, you need to go. Get out of here. Go. They would plunder the Egyptians. They would go out according to Exodus chapter 13 in orderly ranks. And so they went out as a nation with their banners in orderly ranks, as told to us there in Numbers chapters 2 and 4, how it is that they would journey in ranks in the wilderness. And so we, as the children of God, of course, we have left Egypt, haven't we? We've left the world because of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. And we are now conquerors. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 8 tells us that, as Paul would say, that who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness, pearl or sword? And he would go on to say that yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, who freed us from the world as we come to him in faith. But one of the things also, not only is this a historical account of their journey, but also it reminds you and me that in the journey in our lives, that the Lord knows where we go. He knows our stops, and he guides us just as he would guide them by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And I want to remind us of that because sometimes as we go through life, as we run the race that is set before us, as we've been talking about in Hebrews chapter 12, as, as we journey in this world as Christians, sometimes we can think, Lord, do you see where I'm at? Do you know where I'm going? Lord, do, do, do you know even what it is that I'm going through? And I think that Numbers chapters 33 in this detailed account here reminds us that the Lord says yes, that I know where it is that you're at, uh, I know where you're going, and I see everything that you're going through. So they would leave Egypt there, Ramses, again, the northern part of Egypt. They would head out into the wilderness in verse 5. And the children of Israel moved from Ramses, and they camped at Sakkoth. And they parted from Sakkoth and camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. And they moved from Etham and turned back to Pyrhiroth, which is east of Baal, Sephon, and they camped near Migdol. And there they departed from before Hiroth. And passed through the midst of the sea of the wilderness, went three days' journey into the wilderness at Etham, and camped at Mara. So in this, what we see, of course, as we follow along the book of Exodus, they would go out into the wilderness. They would be backed up against the Red Sea with Pi-Hiroth on one side, Migdol on the other side, two mountain ranges. And then it would be Pharaoh that hardened his heart. He would send the Egyptian chariots after the children of Israel you know the story of Exodus chapter 14, how the Lord opened up the sea. The children of Israel crossed on dry land. They were safe on the other side. When the Egyptians pursued them, the waters receded and the Egyptians were drowned. The children of Israel would begin to worship the Lord. We see the praise of the children of Israel there in Exodus chapter 15. We see that Marion, the sister of Moses, would also be leading the worship 
with the children of Israel as the Egyptians were drowned. And it would be a short time after that, as they're out there in the wilderness now, they would come to the waters of Marah. And they would begin to complain. And the water of Marah, of course, that as they're out there in the wilderness, this is a hot portion of the world. It's desert, it's barren, it's hot, extremely hot. They need water. They've been out for three days since the crossing of the Red Sea. They need water, and there at Mara, the water was very, very bitter. So if you recall the story of Exodus chapter 15, that it was the Lord that told Moses, what you are to do is you are to throw a tree, cast a tree into the water, and the water would become sweet, and they would have water to drink. And so it reminds us there in Exodus chapter 15 how in this life, the water of the world can be bitter, can it? And that's why it was Jesus that told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, you drink of the water of this well, and you're going to thirst again. And that is true for any of us. Any of us that drink of the water of the world, it can be bitter. Because we live in a fallen creation. We live in a world where there is disease and sickness and sorrow and loss and death. But Jesus Christ, who died on the tree, he makes it sweet for you and for me. And as we come to him, and as, again, we accept him into our hearts as Lord and Savior, making that decision to surrender our lives completely to him, then all of a sudden life is sweet again. And we drink of the living water that the Lord desires to give to you and to me. And we are refreshed and we are satisfied. And I'm going to keep reminding myself of this, my family, and you as well, that true satisfaction comes by knowing him, knowing the Lord and loving him and staying close to him. Continue to take in of the living water that he has for you and for me. And Jesus said, out of your belly are going to flow torrents of living water. And so here they would pass from there. They moved from Mara, verse 9, and came to Elam. And Elam, there was 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there. And they moved from Elam and camped by the Red Sea. They moved from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. And they journeyed from the wilderness of Sin and camped at Dabka. And they departed from Dabka and camped at Alush. And from Elush they camped, verse 14, at Rephidim. And there there was no water for the people to drink. And so they departed from Rephidim and camped in the wilderness of Sinai. Rephidim, mentioned here, it may ring a bell with you, Exodus chapter 17. You remember again, they're out there in that hot, barren desert. There's no water to drink. The people begin to complain to Moses, we have no water to drink. So Moses was told by the Lord to strike the rock and water would come forth. And so that's what Moses did. And so water would come from that rock to be able to water their animals and their livestock, to be able to water and bring enough water for nearly 3 million people that were out there. So that was a lot of water. And we know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that it is Paul that would speak about that rock being Christ that that rock with water flowing from it. And again, of course, we know from the gospel accounts that Jesus would say, come and drink of me. Come drink of the living water. Speaking to the, the woman at the well of the living water that he had to offer to her and to whoever who would come and believe in him. And so that water, again, that rock that is speaking of Christ, and it was a picture of Christ. So he would strike the rock just as Jesus Christ was struck for you and for me as he died on Calvary's cross. And then we read in verse 16 that they moved from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Hibroth, Hattavah, and they departed from Kibroth, Hattavah, and camped at Hazaroth. And so verse 16, you recall Hattavah, um, uh, what am I saying here? I just lost my place here. 
Hatafah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Numbers chapter 11. It was there that the people began to murmur against the Lord again. They were murmuring against the provision of the Lord. They said, we're tired of this manna. We want meat to eat. And so the Lord said, you want meat? You're going to get meat. And you recall that he sent the quails in, and all these quails came in, and so the people began to eat the quail, and there was a plague that went through, and some of the people would die. And so the Lord brought judgment to them because of their carnality. And hatava means graves of craving. And then they would go to Hazaroth, and that is the place in Numbers chapter 12 where Miriam would speak against Moses. You recall he spoke, uh, she spoke, the sister of Moses, Marion, against Moses' wife, but the real issue is that she was coming against Moses in his ministry and his, um, his um, authority that God had given to him to lead the children of Israel, and she was struck with leprosy at that place. And so some of these reminders as we go through these different places, and then we see in verse 18, they departed from Hazaroth and camped at Rithmah, that's the wilderness of Paran. And then in verses 19 through verse 49, uh, you can read these different places. I'm going to pick it up at verse 36. Because after verse 19, the other places we don't really know a whole lot about. They would stop there. We don't know in the events that took place there, except when we get to verse 36. So you can move down to verse 36. And they moved from Ezion. Geber, and they camped at the wilderness of Zin, which is Kadesh. And they moved from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the boundary of the land of Edom. And then Moses the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel come out of the land of Egypt on the first day in the fifth month. And so we see here that Kadesh, that's where Moses erred as he would, what, strike the rock. You recall, again, the people are thirsty. Moses had been putting up with these people for 40 years, and all of a sudden Moses lost it there. And he said, must we fetch water for you rebels? And he took his staff and he struck the rock twice. But then the Lord said, Moses, come here. We need to have a little talk. You misrepresented me, and also you took the glory from me. What's this? We fetch water for you. I'm the one that's providing the water. You simply just had to speak to the rock like I told you. So Moses, because he erred there at Kadesh, he would not go into the promised land. And also we talked about how he polluted that picture, that rock being again uh, Christ. That rock is a picture of Christ who was struck once and for all for our sins. And don't you, uh, or aren't you reminded of what the writer of Hebrews has been really stressing to us as we've gone through that book? That Jesus Christ died once and for all for our sins to take away sin. And his sacrifice on Calvary's cross was enough. And so in chapter 10 and then in chapter 12, we're going to be reminded there's no other sacrifice for salvation. Jesus has completed the work. He was sacrificed once and for all that took away sin for you and for me, and we come in faith and receive that. We just speak to him. And so Moses had polluted that picture, simply speaking to the rock, and then the water would come forth. He struck the rock again. And so the writer of Hebrews has been telling us, Jesus isn't going to die again for our sins. He doesn't have to. There's no more sacrifice for sin. So if you reject him, you're rejecting salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. And so Moses had polluted that picture with striking the rock 
twice when he was simply to speak to the rock, just as you and I speak to Jesus Christ again, receiving him into our hearts. And then verse 37 and 38, Numbers 20, that's where Aaron would die in Mount Or. And then as we continue on in verse 39, Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Or. Now the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwell in the south in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel. So verse 40, Numbers chapter 21. You recall that's where the children of Israel defeated the king of Arad and the Canaanites there. Verse 41, they departed from Mount Or and camped at Salmanah, and from departed from Salmanah and, and camped at Punan, and they departed from Punan and camped at Oboth. They departed from Oboth and camped at Ijah Abram at the border of Moab. And they departed from Ijam and camped at Dibon Gab, and they moved from Gibon Gad and camped at Alman uh, Dibla. Thiam, I knew I'd get that out. And they moved from Alman Dipalathiam and camped at the mountains of Abraham before Nebo. And they departed from the mountains of Abraham and camped at the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And they camped by the Jordan across from Beth Shesamoth as far as Abel Achaia Grove in the plains of Moab. So there will be a test on this next week, so you might want to study up. But I think, seriously... The, the important thing to remember is this. That there's a lot of movement, wasn't there, in their 40 years. A lot of places that they stopped. But there wasn't a lot of progress. There wasn't a lot of progress in moving towards the promised land. And we talked why the reasons why they spent 40 years out there in the wilderness. But for me, in my life, I don't want there just to be a lot of activity and movement in my spiritual life. I want there to be real progress. I want there to be real growth. I want there to be really moving and being established in the promises of God and, and being established in Him as I grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. And I know of Christians that there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of movement, but they seem somehow to just continue to be in the wilderness going in circles because they're not established in the Word of God, they're not growing in the Word of God, they're not trusting the Lord, they're, they're not doing those things that we have talked about quite extensively going through this book that will take us into the promised land, a life of blessing and a life of strength and a life of, of just enjoying the Lord and what he has for you and for me. So we want to make real progress. And you know what you guys are? Because you guys are here. You're here on Wednesday nights going through four chapters of the book of Numbers. And you're here because you want to be here. That's one of the things that brings comfort to me. Nobody comes here because they're going to get entertained. Nobody's going to come here because they're going to hear a bunch of great jokes. You guys come here because we're opening up our Bibles and we are reading the Bible and we're going through these chapters, chapter after chapter, and you're getting fed because you know that that's the way to maturity and that's the way to be established in God's promises because you learn of God's promises, you learn of His principles and His truths and His command. And that's the way to move into the promised land. That as you're establishing those things and establishing the Word of God, then you're going to see wonderful things that God is going to do in your life. So don't go around in circles. And I see a lot of Christians that do. There's not a lot of growth that goes on in their lives. A lot of activity, a lot of movement, chasing after the latest thing or the latest book they want to read and, and, and press and all these other things. But you just keep moving forward in the things of God and the Word of God and being established in His love. And so that's 
what we can learn as we go through these places and look at these different places they went through. Verse 50, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, demolish all their high places. You shall dispose the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. So again, the instructions for the conquest to go into the promised land and to conquer the land. When you do, make sure that you get rid of all those grave, uh, graven images and stones and uh, idols and high places where false worship has taken place. In verse 54, we read, And you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give a larger inheritance. To the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. There everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. And then you shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes, thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. So we know the history of the children of Israel as we go through the Old Testament, don't we? They, in Joshua, which we're going to see after the book of Deuteronomy, they conquered the land. And they did not finish, though, driving out the inhabitants. So in the book of Judges, they began to compromise. They began to worship those false idols, began to adopt their false practices. And we see that those uh, Canaanites and the other ites that were in the land became a real irritant or a real sword to their eyes and a thorn to their side. They would find themselves in bondage, and that would be repeated again after the days of David. And one thing for you and for me that we can see here in a message that we see clearly throughout the scriptures is, is that you stay devoted to the Lord and faithful to him. Don't go after the pleasures of the world, the things of the world, those things that are false. Listen, folks, there's a lot of pressure for you and for me to cave, to compromise, to, to say, you know what, we can believe in all kinds of gods or religions are all the same. Uh, Sue and I were talking about an article that somebody had wrote in their local paper just recently, and it's a common theme that we see all the time, that all religions are the same, and you Christians are hateful and bigots and all of this because we're standing for truth, and all religions offer you know um, truth and all these other things that are being forced you know, and being explained and also being um, told to, uh, to our children and to us and uh, that we need to compromise. This word is true. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And if we begin to adopt that which is false, and that's what the children of Israel did, and that which is not true, and it's something that we begin to compromise in, I'll tell you the truth because God's word says it will be a sword to your eye and it will be a thorn to your side. You remain in truth. It's going to get more difficult for us to stand for truth. It's going to be more difficult for you and I to be ones that stand for righteousness. But God has called us to, especially in the days in which we are living. So again, I commend you coming out and learning truth and being students of the word of God. And so we'll see in the book of 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 Joshua, that they'll go into the land, they'll divide up the land according to the inheritance. So stay tuned, we'll get there in a few weeks, right? So chapter 34, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land of Canaan, this is the land that you shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan, 
to its boundaries. So given the boundaries of the promised land given to them, and we see in verse 3, your southern border shall be from the wilderness of Sin along the border of Edom. Then your southern border shall extend eastward to the end to the Salt Sea, that's the Dead Sea. Your border shall turn from the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim and continue to Zin, and then on the south of Kadesh Barnea, and then it shall go on to Hazar Adar and continue Asmon. And then the border shall turn from Asmon to the brook of Egypt, and it shall end at the sea. Now there's some debate on the southern end of the boundaries here, because here in verse 5 where it says the brook of Egypt, some scholars have said and commentators that it's talking about the Nile River. And that would include all the, the Sinai Peninsula there in the wilderness that they had been wandering in. Others have said, no, it's a brook around Kadesh Barnea, which is where they went up to, to the border of the wilderness. I tend to think that it's speaking of that brook around Kadesh Barnea because they would go up to there and it was there that they complained against the Lord and said, we can't go into the promised land. That seemed to be on the edge of the wilderness. I don't think that the Lord gave them all of the Sinai over to, this, to the Nile River because he's trying to get them out of that area, isn't he? He's trying to get them out of that wilderness. So it seems to me more logical to me that it's speaking the brook of Egypt to that area around Kadesh Barnea. Um, but some will disagree with me, and, and that's okay. Verse 6 says, For the western border you shall have the great sea for a border. This shall be your western border. So that's an easy one, the Mediterranean Sea to the west. Verse 7, And this shall be your northern border. From the great sea you shall mark out a border line to Mount Hor. And from Mount Hor you shall mark out your border to the entrance of Hamath. Then the direction of the border shall be towards Zedad. In verse 9, The border shall proceed to Zebron, and it shall in at Hazar Enan, and they shall be your northern border. So the northern border would extend probably, they say, about some 50 miles north of where Damascus is today. Now, Damascus is the capital of Syria. And so that was part of the borders of where they were to conquer that they never really went up into that area. They would go up by around the Sea of Galilee and up by uh, the area of Mount Hermon, uh, in that area which is today called the Golan Heights, but they never went up into that area of Damascus and north of there. So this is one area that they never really conquered. Um, this would be an area that would include the Golan Heights that you hear so much about in the news today. The Golan Heights is that area, that high ground above the Sea of Galilee that used to belong to Syria but was taken over by Israel after the Six-Day War, and it's uh, an issue that is still uh, you hear about in the negotiations and the peace talks that they'd like to have between Israel and Syria. It all is in that area of the Golan Heights and not far from Damascus. So that high ground there is what it's speaking of. And just uh, Most of you know that, but whenever you hear the Golan Heights concerning Syria, that's that area just north and east of the Sea of Galilee, that high ground that is now being occupied uh, by Israel. And we see all that was given to the Lord uh, for them to conquer. And so in verse 10 of chapter 34, we pick it up, and you shall mark out your eastern border from Hazar Enon to Stephon. From the border you shall go down from Stephon to Ribla on the east side of An, and the border shall go down and reach to the eastern side of the sea of Chinnereth. And the border shall go down along the Jordan, and it shall end at the Salt Sea, and this shall be your land which is surrounding boundaries. And so the southern or the eastern end 
would be pretty much what you see the border today of Israel, going from Sea of Galilee down the Jordan River, down to the Dead Sea, and then down to the Red Sea. And so verse 13, Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, This is the land which you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half-tribe. So this is everything what? That's west of the Jordan River. That's where the nine and the half-tribes are going to be. On the east side, as we saw last week, that's where Gad and Reuben and the half of the tribe of Manasseh are going to be on the east side. They're in the plains of Moab. That's where their inheritance is going to be. So verse 14, the tribe of the children of Reuben, according to the house of their fathers, the tribe of the children of Gad, according to the house of their fathers, have received their inheritance, and the half-tribe of Manasseh has received this inheritance, and the two tribes and half-tribe have received their inheritance on this side of the Jordan, across from Jericho, eastward towards the sunrise. And then verse 16, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, These are the names of the men who shall divide the land among you as an inheritance, Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun. And you shall take one leader of every tribe to divide the land of the inheritance. These are the names of the men from the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh. So Joshua and Caleb, as you know, just to review, the only two that were men of war that came out of Egypt are going to be the only two that are going to go into the promised land. Everybody else comes from that new generation. Not even Moses goes into the promised land, not Aaron, not Miriam. And so we see here that it's going to be Joshua and Caleb that are going to go into the promised land. Now we will see in the book of Joshua that Caleb is going to be given that mountain that belonged to the Anakins. And it's going to be that Caleb is going to say to Joshua, it was Moses that said to me 45 years ago that that mountain is mine. You remember the spies that went in and we came back and gave the report? Yes, there was giants in the lands, but it was Caleb that said, so what, let's go gobble them up. Well, Moses promised me that mountain and I want that mountain. And Caleb went after it and he got that and he defeated the giants. And Caleb was a man of such great faith. He was a man that trusted the Lord and the promises of the Lord. And he says, I'm as strong as I was 45 years ago. He was 85 years at that time that he would get his inheritance. He waited 45 years. And what that shows me is, as I continue on, however long the Lord gives to me, that I don't want to just fold or get sloppy or begin to compromise. I want to stay strong like Caleb. And I want to continue on, and I want to, to just be used of the Lord and know that the Lord can use me as long as he gives me the grace and the ability to continue to minister. That, Lord, I want to move forward and continue to be a man of faith and a man that trusts in your word. And that was Caleb. And I love looking at Caleb in his life and how he just trusted the Lord. And he was one that said, I'm going to go after those giants. I don't care if I'm 85 years old. I'm still strong. And he goes after them because the Lord had given him a promise. And so verse says, wherever we're at, verse 20, from the tribe of the children of Simeon, Shemuel, the son of Ammahud, and from the tribe of Benjamin, Eladad, the son of Chislon, and the leader of the tribe of the children of Dan, Buckeye, the son of Joglai. I like that name, Buckeye. So any of you having future sons, that's a good name, I think. Strong name, Buckeye. <laughs> Verse 23, for the sons of Joseph, a leader from the tribe of the children of Manasseh, Haniel, the son of Ephod, and the leader of the tribe of the children of Ephraim, 
Kemuel, the son of Sheptan, and the leader of the tribe of the children of Zebulon, Elisaphan, the son of Parnach, and the leader of the tribe of the children of Issachar, Patel, the son of Azan, and the leader of the tribe of the children of Asher, Ahihud, the son of Salami, and the leader of the tribe, verse 28, of the children of Naphtali, Pedahel, the son of Amahad, and those are the ones the Lord commanded to divide the inheritance among the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. Chapter 35, the city of the Levites, as the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan, across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they may give the Levites city to dwell in the inheritance of their possession, and you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. So as they would go into the promised land, the 12 tribes are going to get their portion of land, aren't they? They're going to get their allotment. But the Levites, the Lord came to them and said, you're not going to get an inheritance because I am your inheritance. They, in the wilderness, were camped where? They were camped at the tabernacle, weren't they? All the other 12 tribes, and remember, people get a little bit confused. They think, was there 13 tribes? The tribe of Joseph, or the son of Joseph, his two sons, Joseph, each were a tribe, Manasseh and Ephraim. So sometimes we can look at it and think there's 13. Well, the 12 tribes would get their allotments. The Levites, the Lord said, you are my inheritance. They had to live somewhere. So they're going to live in these 48 cities that are going to be located throughout the promised land. So that's what's being set up for them. And then this common land that's going to stretch out from the walls of the city for about a mile all the way around the city that they can graze their animals, you know, their milk cows and their goats and things like that. They don't have large portions of land to grow crops and have orchards and all of this. The Levites are being provided for by the offerings of the people. We've seen all of that as we've gone through this book. But they do have a little bit of land that they can graze their milk cows and some of their goats and things like that. They're living inside the cities, and that's what's being talked about here. And so verse 4, the common land of the cities which you will give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. And you shall measure outside the city on the east side two thousand cubits, and the south side two thousand, the west side two thousand, north side two thousand cubits. And the city shall be in the middle. This shall belong to them as a common land for the cities. Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee, and to these you shall add forty-two cities. Forty-eight cities in all, Forty-two are just for the Levites. Six of the cities are going to be cities of refuge that we're going to read about as we continue on in this chapter and what that is all about. So verse 8, And the cities which you give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribe you shall give many. From the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give some of the cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. So each of those allotments, 12 tribes, there's going to be some cities of the Levites that are in there. So each tribe is going to have a responsibility to provide for the Levites. For the large tribes and the large land, there's going to be more cities. For the smaller tribes, there's going to be less cities. But each has a responsibility to provide for the Levites and provide the cities for the Levites to live. And so the cities of refuge, verse 9, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to the um, be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. And so we see here that these cities are set up 
specifically for that person who may flee to those cities. Um, and so you shall appoint, verse 11, cities to be cities of refuge for you that the manslayer, again, who kills any person accidentally may flee there, verse 12 actually, these shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. Here's what's going on. The Lord is saying of the city of the Levites, there's going to be six cities. And if you're out working in the field and something happens, somebody is killed, then that person who perhaps that um, is the one who killed that individual, he has a chance to go to the city of refuge. And there it's going to be all sorted out. You've got to remember, they didn't have a police force back then. They didn't have investigators. They didn't have a coroner. They didn't have district attorneys and all of this. So if something happened to where somebody was killed, the, the nearest kin of the victim that was killed is called the avenger of blood. And it was his responsibility to bring that person to justice, to bring them to where they will go on trial and they will be put to death, or the avenger of blood would put that person to death. So if it was an accident, let's say they're working in the fields and you know, he's swinging his axe and the, the axe head comes off and hits somebody and accidentally kills him, he's got a chance to run to the city of refuge and there the avenger of blood cannot get to him. And there the case is going to be heard. So this was six cities that were placed, and we're going to see how it is that they're placed. Verse 13, in the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint the three cities on this side of the Jordan, that is on the west side. Three cities you shall appoint um, in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. So actually, three cities on the east side, that is, where they're at right now, and then three on the west side in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. It's no further than a day's walk for somebody to get to. So something happens, a manslayer, it's manslaughter, an accident. That person can go to that city of refuge and be safe there. These six cities, verse 15, shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. So again, this is for anyone, not just the children of Israel, but for the stranger as well. They can go and find refuge in that city. Now, here's some guidelines that are going to be given to them to determine whether it was indeed murder or it was an accident. Verse 16. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he's a murderer. And the murderer shall be surely put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, and he does die, he's a murderer, and the murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or in enmity he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. So here are the guidelines. If it is premeditated, if it is out of anger, if it is uh, something that um, they did um, intent to kill, then they are murderer, and then capital punishment was to be issued. And again, we've seen in the book of Exodus that that law was given to them. And so here's the guidelines. And notice here that if you murder somebody out of anger, 
then you were still guilty. And isn't it so much different in our legal justice? You know, people will plead insanity or, or you know, poor judgment and all these other things, make excuses why they did it. Here it's very clear. If it's intent or it's premeditated at all, you come in, you strike the guy, you throw something at him or hit him with something, then that person is to be put to death and by the avenger of blood that was to do it. Verse 22, however, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies while he is not his enemy or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and shall remain there until the death of the high priest who is anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, the avenger of blood kills the manslayer. He shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. Interesting, isn't it? So if the manslayer person... um, was found that it was an accident, it wasn't premeditated or intent, they could stay in that city of refuge, but they had to stay in the city. If they wandered out, then the avenger of blood could get to them. They had to stay in the city until the death of the high priest. Interesting, isn't it? If the death of the high priest happened, and who knows how long that could be, that could be their, they may never see that. Or it could be a short time. But when the high priest died, then they were free to go back to their possession and free and safe from the avenger of blood. The lesson simply for you and for me is that Jesus is our refuge. So just stay close to him, okay? Stay with him. Stay close to him. There's safety, security. He is our refuge and our very present help and trouble for all of us that we can go to, for anyone who comes to him. So that's what the city of refuge really speaks of. It speaks of this, 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 this guideline for those who could be safe, but you and I ultimately are safe from death as we come to Jesus Christ, who is our refuge. And so in verse 30, whoever kills a person, again, a murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses, but one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. So there had to be two witnesses needed for a murder conviction. Um, not gossip, not hearsay, two witnesses. Good principle. Matter of fact, it's a principle that's taken over when it comes to church discipline or when we're dealing with a brother and sister that sins, that you go to them, and if they don't receive you, then you take a witness with you. And what that does is establish what is being done to that individual who sins. It isn't gossip, it isn't hearsay, but two witnesses that will establish a word. And of course, Uh, Every word will be established on the word of two or three witnesses. And that's the guidelines given here. Verse 32, And you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to a city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the priest. You shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except for the blood of him who shed it. And therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. God wants justice. So he says, this is how you're going to execute judgment, and it is to be done in this way. Chapter 36, do we dare finish the book of Numbers? Only 13 verses. will be just a few minutes. 
Now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Machar, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. Now I know you're thinking, aha, Numbers chapter 27, aren't you? Remember that it was the daughters of this one man, Zelophehad, and they came to Moses and said, our father didn't have any sons, it's just us five daughters, so do we get the inheritance? And you recall that it was the Lord that told Moses, yes, the inheritance will then pass on to the daughters. So this is some more guidelines that are given to the children of Israel concerning inheritance. And so that's all this really is. So we're going to go over it fairly quickly. And again, remember, God is preparing them to go into the promised land. So that's why all these guidelines, that's why all these laws given to them to govern themselves, these civil laws and the inheritance laws that will be given to them as they get ready to go in. And so verse 4, and when the jubilee... um, of the children of Israel comes, well, let's back up to verse 3, sorry. Now, if they are married to any of the sons of other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers, and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe to which they marry, so it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. There was a problem. It passes to the daughter, but what if she marries somebody else from another tribe? Then the inheritance passes on to that tribe, to that husband. It's going to be passed on to them, and then land's going to be mixed up, and it's going to be all muddled up and everything. So here's the guidelines. Um, Verse 4, And the jubilee of the children of Israel comes, and their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe in which they marry. So their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. So again, what they're trying to avoid is um, the original tribe's land being depleted and there being confusion um, with the land then passing on to another tribe. So verse 5, Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, What the tribe of the sons of Joseph speaks is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry whom they think best, but they marry, may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe, For every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of the one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. So what they are being told, you guys are free to marry who you want, just marry within your own tribe. And then we don't have this mess, and the land stays within uh, the the, uh, land that belongs to the tribe. And so verse 10, So as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad, for Malah and Tezra and Hoglah and Melchah and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to the sons of their father's brothers, and they were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribes of their father's family. And these are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded the children of Israel by the hands of Moses in the plain of Moab, by Jordan, across from Jericho. And they lived happily ever after because they did what the Lord told them to do. Ladies, if there's any that are here, you're single, young men, you're free to marry whom you want. 
Just make sure that you marry a Christian. Amen? Marry somebody that you're equally yoked with. And marry somebody that loves the Lord. And marry somebody that you're going to be able to journey with. That you're just going to live happily ever after (laughs) with them. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. And even in the pages here, we see that and we're reminded that you're our refuge. You're a place of safety. So we want to stay abiding with you. Lord, as we go through this, we see that you see every place that we go. And maybe tonight there are some that right now in their journey, that, Lord, they're in a place where it is truly hot and difficult and barren spiritually. Lord, maybe even practically the things that are going on. And, Lord, I just pray that you administer to your people right now, that they would know that you are there with them, that you're guiding them, and, Lord, that you see where they're at and you desire to strengthen and to bless. Father, I do pray that we would be ones that we would look to you for everything and that we would continue not just having a lot of activity and movement, but, Lord, real progress and growing in your love and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we just worship for the next few moments, I pray that you'd minister to our hearts. If there's anything on our hearts that we need to give to you, Lord, maybe there's struggles, maybe an attitude, maybe there's carnality, maybe there's sin that you've been dealing with us, that we would just confess that. And Lord, give it to you. And Lord, we don't want to live a life in the wilderness. We want to live a life in the promised land. And that is living a life after you and trusting you and staying close to you. And Father, so you guide us and empower us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, just enable us to live that life Lead us and guide us. Lord, help us to be established in your word and in your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.